sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us to discard and put aside all of our concerns right now other than just being here listening to you and applying that verse of being sanctified by your truth. Lord, may I present it in purity and in power with your authority. May the people receive it the way, exactly the way you intend. Use it, Lord, to bless us. Use it, Lord, to change us. Use it, Lord, to make us more. Your servants and your witnesses around the world. And to live a life closer to you, to you for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to be here with you today, doing this. And if you were here on November the 12th, you would know why I mean what I say. <laughs> uh, we've got a good passage today. I hope we can all learn from it. I hope it, as I prayed, I hope it changes us for the better into what God wants us to be and what God wants us to become. So I'm going to start reading in, um, I was actually going to read all of uh, the rest of chapter 4 from where uh, Carter stopped from 35 all the way through chapter 5 to the end of it. But uh, I was talked out of that, so um, I am going to <laughs> I am going to reference the things that are happening in that full passage. But I'm only going to read through five uh, twenty. So um, uh, God is being merciful to you. So, but. I'm sorry, but I wasn't going to make you stand if I was going to pre read the whole thing to you. But now you have to stand in the honor of reading God's word, okay? Because I'm reading less now. <laughs> okay. Read with me. I hope it's on the board there. Yes. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in, a, in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
who, is, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to, de to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. Well, the rest, you may have a seat. <laughs> the rest of that passage, that text, uh, which puts four miracles together, I'll, I'll kind of set it up for you. Uh, before this whole text, Jesus had just told three stories, the famous, of course, the well-known uh, uh, parable of the sower. And he says that in the middle of that, before he explained it to them, he says the secrets of the kingdom of God are given to you, but not to everyone. So he's talking about the kingdom of God and his ministry and his relationship to that kingdom and what the kingdom really is. And then he gives two, two parables after that about the kingdom being like to clarify and correct um, the misconceptions, at least of the disciples, of what it was that he came to be king of, how he was supposed to come as king. Now, that's all been preached to you prior to this, but now Jesus, Mark is showing in his gospel how these four miracles that follow immediately 
after the, his teaching, exemplify and, and show everyone, including us, exactly how his power and authority, his authority as king, his power as king, is to be exercised in it, what it really means, what it really covers. And so it shows, and I showed you, I, I read to you half of those. The rest of that is he goes back over, I'll summarize it as my wife recommended that I do. Uh, he goes back over after, he, after the, uh, the uh, healing the demoniac, freeing him of, that, of the unclean spirit, he immediately goes back over across the lake, or across the Sea of Galilee, and there uh, he is met by Jairus, a ruler, who, is, uh, who has a daughter who is dying. There's no question that he's, she's dying, um, and he knows it, and he's pleading with Jesus to help him to save his daughter. And so he agrees to go with him. But as he's going, uh, the crowd is pressing around him and so on. And uh, the woman with the, a woman with uh, continuous bleeding for 12 years uh, is there and she is desperate. She, is, uh, she needs salvation in the sense of freedom and cleansing and healing from her illness. And she thinks, I'll just, if I could just touch his cloak, um, I'll, I'll be healed. And he was. She was healed. And um, there's an encounter there between Jesus and her. And then he goes on and raises. The girl dies in the meantime. And Jairus, the people come to Jairus and say, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. Um, she's already dead. And he said, don't. Uh, don't worry, don't be afraid. Fear is throughout this, by the way. Uh, don't be afraid. Um, just believe. And so they go on to the house, and he raises the girl from the dead, and she's 12 years old. And, um, and he says, give her something to eat. And, uh, and it, she goes on with her, her life. Uh, so the point of that is, uh, in those four examples, Jesus in the boat has shown, is shown that he has power over nature, the elements. The Psalms talk about God's control over the waves and the sea and the wind and the tempest and so on. And many times in the book of Psalms and in other places in the Old Testament. And Jesus demonstrates powerfully that he has power. He has authority over the wind and over the sea. And so that is one example of his authority and power. He has power over the, de the demons, the supernatural forces. The natural forces, the supernatural forces. In the de demoniac. And then it shows that he has power and authority over sicknesses. Now the sicknesses and the, de the demon possession has already been shown several times up to this point, chapter 4 of Mark. Those are not unusual for the disciples to witness, for the people to see, and so on. He has cleansed many people up to this point of demons, of evil spirits, and he has healed many of those who are sick. But he has not yet shown his power 
over all of creation, over the elements, over nature itself, and he has not shown his power over death. The girl was dead. There was no question about that. They laughed at him when he said she's not dead. And whenever, it's the same way um, on, on Lazarus, when Jesus said, oh, he's not dead, he's just asleep. Well, that term, that uh, he uses that term to say it's a temporary state because I am who I am, and I'm, I have every intention to bring that person back to life, even though he is or she is dead. So he has authority and power over death. He has authority and power over all nature, all creation. And he has power, of course, over evil spirits and over sicknesses, all sorts of sicknesses. So that's what this is all about. And I am focusing uh, your attention over what we can learn from that uh, on the demoniac. And actually part of that begins when he gets into the boat. Now, I said that fear is throughout this and Jesus dispelling the fear. In every one of those cases he's talking about, he's saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Don't you know? It's like, don't you know who I am? Why are you afraid? So Jesus, his purpose is to get rid of fear. Fear is coming from the wrong space place. It's coming to us in our nature and our humanness from the evil forces around us, it makes us afraid. But Jesus over and over and over and over again says, I am here, don't be afraid. So that's one thing that he's trying to get across to them. But the moment he gets, I want to tell you, maybe you don't see that. Um, the moment Jesus gets into the boat, he embarks on a mission. And he is on a mission to rescue a man. You could say he's a, a one-man delta force. The others that are with him are just along for the ride. But he has one purpose. He's going to cross that lake, across the Sea of Galilee. He's going to meet a man. He's going to deliver him from legion of demon spirits. And when he's done with that, he's going to get back in the boat and go back across the sea. Now, you might say, well, his uh, purpose over there was uh, kind of thwarted because um, the people found out about it, and they came, as you read, as I just read it to you, they came and they pleaded for him to leave. He really had other things to do there. You really think that? You think that was his purpose? He was going behind enemy lines. He was going to the, the enemy's realm in a Gentile region. And it's, it's emphasized by the fact that the man lived in a tombs among the dead. The whole place was dead. It was without God. It was a godless place. And he was going across there for one purpose. To meet that man. Can you, can you get it? Can you believe that? So. 
Let me get to my notes. I've got some more to say. The storm was part of the whole thing. I believe, it doesn't say that exactly, but I believe that Satan knew Jesus was coming. And he was doing everything he could to stop him. Now, the only reason I say that, because there is an indication there in the language that the storm itself, now you say, well, the, the devil, the evil spirits don't have power over nature. Um, he did in Job. Uh, so, we'll leave that in the supernatural realm about what Satan, what kind of power Satan has and what he doesn't. But when Jesus stood up and he said, peace, be still, the Greek there says, be muzzled. And that is used in other places, or at least in one other place, when he's speaking about, speaking to evil spirits. Be muzzled. Go back to your cage. I'm in power. I will control you. So, he was controlling the elements, regardless of what, where they came from, to get across that sea. And I only bring that up, I mentioned it Friday morning. My experience has been many times when I am embarking on a mission for God, and I know, I feel without a doubt that it is from God that God has sent me on this. I have learned over, I'm pretty old, to expect opposition from, from the other side. I know it's going to come. I don't know how it's going to come, but I know it's going to come. So, is this an example of that? And I'll put it as a question because I don't want to put it out there as an as a absolute certainty. It's a, it's a possibility that Satan was trying to stop Jesus. And you say, well, that Jesus know, Satan knows he can't stop Jesus. Well, he tried in the wilderness, right? So he's doing what he can to stop Jesus from coming into his realm to free a man who has two, well, legion is 6,000. I said 2,000. 2,000 pigs, 6,000 soldiers. 6,000, that just means many, right? But this man is, sits, I'm, I'm going to, first I'm going to give it to you from Jesus' side, but then I'm going to give it to you from the man's side. Uh, but the man is so tormented by all that is besetting him. And Jesus, in compassion from the time he left that shore, went to free him, I believe. I think he wasn't surprised at all that that man came out to meet him as soon as he landed. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus did know in his human, humanness, but I don't think that was a surprise at all. The man came out from the tombs where he had been living. He said, as, as often has been, has been said before by demons, 
what do you have to do with me? Or why are you, what do you want to do to me? Why do you want to uh, uh, be mean to me? <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, but Jesus was not at all afraid of them, you see. They were afraid of him. You see it by the response that they gave. It didn't matter how many demons were in that man. Jesus was in full authority and full power over them. When they came and they knelt to him, it was not in a form of worship. It was in a form of subservience because they had to. They had no choice. As Philippians says, every knee will bow. They had no choice but to bow before him, to kneel before him. As they pleaded for mercy from Jesus. It was not a willing thing, <clears throat> but they were desperate. They who had caused so much torment and so much pain to this man did not want to be sent to the abyss, as Luke says, sooner than was the appointed time. Apparently, as, uh, if, you, if you study this, and I don't spend a lot of time studying it, but it may be it perhaps in a disembodied state, they had no choice but to go on to the abyss, to their eternal punishment. Um, that's why. They asked to go into the pigs so they could stay in this world. They could continue to remain outside of that place that they knew that they were headed for. Jesus, somehow in compassion, I'm not sure if it was compassion, but that's who Jesus is. Or perhaps it was because they asked to go into the pigs. And he already knew the end of that story. And he was expecting that, and it was part of his plan. Because pigs represented the economy of that region, and the pigs were unclean, were abhorrent, abhorrent to God, until Jesus made all things clean in his death and resurrection. But the pigs, why they asked to go into the pigs... Um, it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, but apparently it was agreeable to Jesus that they leave this man and go into the pigs. And what, it, what happened immediately when he said, go, as Luke's version says, he gave, him per, he gave them permission. This is his authority. This is his power. He gave them permission. They had to wait for permission to embody pigs. Is that amazing? I kind of get to the man in a minute, but how did he get in that state? Was it somehow by his own consent, by his own mistake, by his own permitting them to come into him? Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But he gave them permission to leave, and they immediately went into 2,000 pigs on the hillside. They ran headlong into the sea, and they drown themselves. I guess because even pigs don't want to be demon, don't, isn't worth living with a demon in you, I guess. 
Um, anyway, they went into the sea and drowned themselves. And this was devastating economically to the region. The herdsmen immediately go back to the villages and to the countryside and say what this terrible, terrible thing happened, this amazing thing happened. And so people come out from the villages and the countryside to see what this is all about. Again, I believe, is part of Jesus' plan. And they came out, and those who witnessed it, the herdsmen, explained what had happened, and they were extremely afraid. They were terrified. And what was their response? Yes. Not, you are the most high God, Christ, the most high God over all things. We bow down and worship you. That was not their response. Their response was, please leave us before you do any more damage. I'm adding my own. Uh, the chosen does it. I can do it too. Um, <laughs> uh, please leave us. Get out of here. Look at what you've done to us. Right? And Jesus, uh, he agrees. He did what they had pleaded with him to do. But before he did, oh, by the way, when they came, they saw, uh, and I'm getting to him, him again in a minute, but they saw him in the, the condition that he was in, uh, in his right mind. And uh, they were amazed by that. But they were still terrified. And their response, their response to all of that Something they could not deny. They, they had witnesses. There was, it was evident. There were dead bodies, dead pigs in the, in the water. There was this man in front of them, dressed in his right mind. It was all amazing. And they could not comprehend it, but they could not accept it. Their response was, leave us. We can't have you. And so he, he did, but he didn't just leave them. There was more to it than that. He sent, he told the man, go and tell. Now, this, he, because before in other times and other places, he tells them not to say anything, like with when he raised Jairus' daughter. Um, he had reason for keeping those things quiet at the time. Uh, as Carter said with the healing of the leper early in Mark's ministry, it caused him to not be able to, to go freely among the people in the Galilean region uh, because the leper, cleansed leper, was so excited he disobeyed Jesus and he told everybody. Well, G God, God, Jesus told this man, no, I'm sorry, you can't come with me. I know you want to come with me, but I have something for you to do. It's very important. I want you to go back to your family. I want you to go to the people that know you, that you know. And I want you to tell this story to everyone throughout the Decapolis, the ten cities on this side of the Jordan and this side of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to witness of what you have seen and heard. 
the man pleaded with Jesus to go with him because he saw what Jesus had power to do, who he was, what he had done to him. But in faith and obedience, he stayed and he did what Jesus told him to do. So Jesus satisfied, I think, empowering him. I mean, he didn't just leave him in this terrible place, in this godless place. I believe that he gave him the power to do exactly what he'd given him to do. Now, in the Marine Corps, in officer training school, training, yeah, officer training, they say, never delegate authority uh, or responsibility without delegating the authority to carry it out, the ability to carry it out. You've doomed the man that you gave the order to if he doesn't, he isn't able to do what you told him to do. Never delegate responsibility without the authority to carry it out. I believe with all my heart he gave him that authority. He gave him that power. He protected him in that godless region. Alone, not two by two, this man alone was a witness for Christ. The first evangelist. Because this is before he sends out the 12 and the 72 and so on. Isn't that pretty cool? Oh. Satisfied with he, that he had accomplished his purpose, Jesus got into the boat and went back across the, the sea. Can you deny that that was the reason he went? He had accomplished what he had, he had planned on. But he had left an agent <laughs> there to continue the work. That man, who knows where he got his, his problem, his, the, uh, the demons that he had, as I said, was it in something that he had done who permitted um, the demons to possess him in the first place? We don't know that. But this man... He, unlike Satan or the supernatural forces, didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know anything about him. He didn't know who this man was. And the man who cried, when he cried out with his voice, it wasn't his voice. He wasn't in control of himself when he came out of the tombs and when he fell down before Jesus. It was all about the demon or the demons. He was completely out of control. He may, have been in, he may have been aware of what's going on, but he had no power over anything that he was doing or any way to control it. Apparently, he was aware of what was happening, but he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't even speak his own words in his own behalf until after Jesus had healed him, had cleansed him, had delivered him. But when Jesus said go and the demons left, he was finally free. We don't know exactly what he did immediately uh, because the focus was on the people running to tell their folks and they came out and saw it and the, the interaction between Jesus and the people of the town and so on. We do know that what he did in response was 
He put on some clothes. And he collected himself. And he was near Jesus when they saw him. That's about all we know about him up to this point. But the man's faith, his newfound faith in Jesus was evident by his earnest desire to go with him. He saw him as his rescuer, his deliverer, his savior. And he didn't want to leave him. He wanted to go with him to have that protection and to, to have that life that Jesus represented, this new life. I mean, we have no idea what kind of torment he had gone through or for how long. It isn't said. But it, was, it must have been terrible. When you see the descriptions of cutting himself and breaking chains and all of the things that he went through, crying out in the hills and the tombs and so on, night and day, by the way, who put the chains on him? The townspeople. They couldn't do it, anything else. But they were part of his torment. His people around him were part of his torment. Inside and outside. The poor man was... Can you relate to that? I... Anyway... He faithfully, when Jesus told him what he told him to do, he said, you mean I'm being the chosen again? You want me to go back there into this situation in the conditions that caused me to be the way I am or the temptations or whatever it is that put me where I am and you want me to go back there? But he did it. He obeyed. He went to his family and he went to his region. I believe that he knew that he was empowered, that he had to know that he was a new person, that he was changed, that he was not who he had been at all in any way. And so in obedience, he shared this good news, this experience with the risen God, with the king of creation, the king of the universe, the king of the world. And you see what the, resp the response of the people at, at his witness. Look at the response of the people at his witness. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. They were greatly moved by his witness, by his testimony. NIV says they were astonished or amazed. But they were greatly moved by the words of this man who had experienced this kind of deliverance from Jesus Christ. And it was a powerful witness in that region. And I believe it was all part of Jesus' design exactly what he intended to do and he left there completely satisfied that he had accomplished his purpose the question for us is what are you going to do with that what am I going to do with that 
we've read this story. If you've been a Christian for any time, if you've been in the church for any time, you know this story. You know all four of these stories about the storm, about the, the demoniac, you know about the bleeding woman, you know about Jairus' daughter, but what are you going to do with it this time? You see, there, there are several possibilities. Of course, the, the greatest or the, the most obvious possibility is we need to be again reminded and reassured and encouraged that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is sovereign, that he is king over all, that he is the Lord most high, that he has complete authority, complete power. It didn't matter if there were a million demons in that man. It wouldn't have mattered because he had total control. Is that what we need to know? Is that what we're going to leave with? How is that going to affect your faith? How is that going to your trust in him for the trials and tribulations and so on that you encounter, that you're going through right now, that you will go through later? Will it help you? But there's more than that. That authority and power at the end of Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power and authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. And we say, whoa, whoa wait, wait, not that power, <laughs> not that authority. We, we can't do that, you know. I mean, that's infinite. I mean, that's, you know, we have a little smidgen of it, and we'll exercise that little smidgen of power and authority uh, to try to do something for God. Uh, to make disciples somewhere, maybe. I mean, we'll try, you know. Whew. Is that our response? Now that you know who Jesus is, how much authority and power he really had, and he said, again, at the end of Matthew, it is mine, I have it. Now you go as my emissaries, as my ambassadors, as my representatives, with my power, my protection, my everything, just like he did with that demoniac. I don't know what he said to him personally, but he empowered him, he imbued him with the ability to do what he'd given him to do. Well, he's given us the ability or the responsibility to do the same thing, to make disciples. Do we believe it? He will not, he would not give us the responsibility without giving us the power and authority to do it, to carry it out. Do we believe it? Or are we just going to go, let's see, I've got, um, there's a couple of playoff games this afternoon. Let's see, hurry up, Alan. You need to get off, get on with this, and we need to, you know, close this out and go home and watch some football. See, it comes down to a response. In your life, you will have many opportunities to meet Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. First for salvation, for sure. But then in life, you will respond to his coming to you across an ocean, 
through storms. As someone said, as uh, Luke 15 says, in the middle of the night to go out there and find that lost sheep regardless of, of the dangers and so on. You know what Jesus had done for you? Josh McDowell wrote a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Wonderful book. It's about who Jesus is. And it's about the impossibility of denying that Jesus, who is, who he claims to be. And it's, it's, a, it's an appeal to accept Jesus as, as your own personal Lord and Savior. Well, there are many times in my life, and I know you have too, if you're of any age much, where you have encountered crisis after crisis after crisis. November 12th for me was just one of many crises in my life. Well, those are all crises of faith. I shared with some of you what I, what I went through that night in the hospital. It was tough. But Jesus came to me again and said, what are you going to do, Alan? How are you going to respond this time? In faith, the way that demoniac responded? What are you going to do with me this time? And you will encounter it over and over again in your life. And I pray that you respond in faith every time. I pray that he will add an element of understanding, of knowledge, of purpose, of encouragement. Each time you encounter him. Because it always has to be a positive encounter. You don't be like those people who came out of that city and said... You're too much for us. Go away. Or worse still, just ignore him. With indifference. Say, well, I'll get through this crisis somehow. It'll go away. A few days, I'll be fine. Is that why he brought you there to that point? Is that why he met you there at that point? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is a crisis that demands a response. Right now, God is talking to you. I pray. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time up here. And you have to respond. Are you going to be the same when you leave this building as when you came. In some way. Haven't you learned something today? Haven't you encountered the risen Lord today? In this service? And hasn't it changed you? Will you let him change you? Will you respond? Or if not today. When that crisis comes. How will you respond to that? Will you respond in faith? Will you say, yes, Lord? Or will you just, like the rich young ruler, say, mm, can't do that?
Sorry. If you respond in faith, there is before you a real, permanent, eternal change in your life. Along with it, a promised peace, a promised assurance, and a promised hope that cannot fail you. Because God is God. He can do what he says he will do, and he will. You can absolutely be certain of it. That man was changed forever by the authority and power of Jesus Christ. You can be too. Even if you're already saved, there's more to life than just being saved. He is sanctifying you for a reason. He's teaching you more through all of the trials and the troubles that you are encountering. He's teaching you. You may end up with a limp like Jacob. You may end up with a thorn in your side. You may end up with a limp like I have now, <laughs> which most people can't see. But he, he is taking me where he wants me to be in my life, in my faith. He is sanctifying me, and I want him to do that. I pray every day, Lord, change me. Make me new again. Renew me in my spirit. Renew me in my hope. I pray the same as for you. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, you are king. You are sovereign. You are sovereign Lord. You have all authority and all power. And you have shared that with us. You have come to die for us. You have subjected yourself to untold torment, untold trouble and, and tribulation so that we might be saved. Lord, help us to embody that or to, to bring that into ourselves. Help us to believe it. Help us to make it part of our faith and help us then to live the life that you have given us of service, of witness. Lord, help us to be a witness. Help us to do what you've given us to do. We need your power. We need your authority. We need your ability. But Lord, we need your presence. We need your spirit. Please do that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.